hustle. You finna get respect, cause right now they don't trust you. You finna get it back. Got you working on the world straight, ghosting on the gas. Hey, everybody, welcome to Always Money Monday, another episode. We're super thrilled to have you join us again today. This is the uh, show where we teach rappers, singers, producers, A&Rs, music professionals how to grow revenue in their careers and how to take that revenue and turn it into personal wealth outside of your careers. So my name's AM. Thank you again for joining us. If you've been joining us in the past episodes, I think uh, I think we're at a grand total of almost a thousand views. So almost a thousand. Cheers to that. Cheers uh, to and that. And cheers to all you guys for watching uh, every episode as well, if you have. And if not, it's all good. If it's your first episode joining us, again, we're really happy to have you. So uh, again, my name's AM. We've got Jesse Christopher back here with me today. Thanks, Jesse, for uh, joining us again. And Jesse's wearing the AMAG jersey. You guys can uh, see that right there. Let's go. Love it. All right, so look, tomorrow, today, we have a really important episode for you, especially for artists. We're talking about how to build your dream team around yourself. Okay, so look, you can't do everything yourselves. You can't, as much as we like to believe that there can be a one-man one man army that just doesn't exist. Yeah. Okay, so as you scale and as you grow your career, you're gonna have to find individuals who can fill certain roles and help you succeed. Mm -hmm. So building a team is really important. And today, that's what the strategy session is gonna be about. And actually, to, this week there wasn't much happening in terms of music news. We're still in the coronavirus lockdown, so we're gonna skip over the music news section today and go right into the strategy session first. Mm -hmm. And after that, we'll answer some of the questions you guys submitted from last week as well. So building your dream team, let's get it right into it. Let's do it. There are, there are, well, there's three types, I would say, three types of team members that a artist needs. Yeah. Okay. Number one, creative team members. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, management team members. And number three, it's a label and investment side of things. Okay. So those are the three areas, creative, management, and then the label investment mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. Right, and so uh, we'll start with we'll we'll take it over to Jesse because Jesse is more involved day to day with creatives, and I want to want to get your opinion. Tell us what does a creative team member do for an artist, and what should an artist look for when you're trying to fill that role? Yeah, for sure. I think uh, at the base of any great creative team is is a vision, and, a, and it's a group of people that are committed to that vision, and they all trust each other's ear as well as you know their their vision for for what the music can be and i think you, what that turns into is um it's a lot of pieces any, any artist that we work with usually there's a lot of we have different producers working with artists well different songwriters working with artists well we'll set up have the right engineers working with the artists i think it's one of the biggest points that i want to say in terms of having any creative team around artists it's organization is probably the first thing that i want to point out i think you want to have the right people doing the right things I think it's important for an artist to identify what they can get from their producers. Certain producers are really good at drum programming. Some, some producers are really good at coming up with environments or chord progressions or more of the melodic side of things when it comes to a beat. When you're building with a team, it's important that you identify who are the best pieces to put together what you need. Um, I think another thing that I see with a lot of artists is that they, um, they, they can't find the right engineer that, that knows how to work with your voice. That's, that's something that we really believe is a, is a, is a special relationship between an engineer and an artist. Certain engineers are going to know how to deal with your voice. Certain engineers are not going to know how to deal with your voice and they're not going to know how to mix it properly. It's important you have the right people working on your stuff. Um, I think the other part of it is, 
you know, when you're working with a creative team, you want to trust that whoever the people are in that room, whether it be producers, engineers, songwriters, ARs in that room, they're able to get the most out of you as a vocalist. I think that there's, um, that's one of the biggest things I see with artists is when, when they're able to come into an environment where they're able to be pushed to try new, try new things, maybe try melodies they haven't tried before, maybe try different tones that they're not comfortable. When you have that voice that's helping you guide you through that process, that's a hugely, um, that's, that's a very important thing you want from your team. And I, and I, I think that in terms of looking for uh, the right pieces around you, those, that's kind of the basis. Mm -hmm. um, if writers are involved, I want to say too, like that's, that's a whole other conversation. A lot of, not, not a lot of artists are, um, sometimes that's, that's something that not, not, not all artists are, are comfortable with. But I think when in terms of there, there being a, a songwriter involved in your sessions or you're working with songwriters, it's super important. They know what types of songs to work on for you. Um, they know how to, they know how you talk. If you don't know how to, how that person talks or speaks or what kind of words they utilize, um, that's not the right songwriter. You, songwriters need to understand how you would say something. They also need to know your story, and, and it has to be you when it comes to songwriting. Um, that's what I'll say to that. So, what, okay, what, what is some of your sessions pretty much every day? Yeah. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see artists making in terms of you know, they come in? Some of them will come in with their whole creative teams. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't have any anybody. Um, but tell me, what some of the biggest mistakes you'd see an artist make that they can that artists can right away start implementing? Yeah, great question. Biggest mistakes number one. I think is not utilizing the people that are around you uh, and not getting the most out of them. A lot of times I'll see, I'll see a, um, an artist come in with like, you know, they might have two producers with them. They might have a couple of other artists slash songwriters that come in with them and they'll be, we'll be in a studio session with 10, 12 people and you'll have everyone sitting there listening to the, the artist and the engineer to work. That's not a good usage of people. We have you, other people. useless people. <laughs> get rid of useless people. Or, or if they're not, if it, yeah, get rid of useless people, number right, one. Right. But, or, or make use of the people that are in the room better. If you mm -hmm. have those producers there, get them working out of the room. Get, mm -hmm. have the headphones on, let them work on, the, you can have four songs being worked on at the same time. Mm -hmm. That's a much more effective usage of your, of your time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, okay. Then another thing that relates right to my next question for you. How do, what's the role of an A&R? Because a lot of artists, when they're just starting, they don't really understand what an A&R really does. Some of them might think that A&R's job is just to go scout talent, right? Mm. Um, I'm an A&R, you're an A&R. Tell them, tell them what an A&R does specifically in the session and creative environment. For sure. A lot of that, there's a lot of moving pieces when it comes to a creative team. So managing that process, how, how is that getting completed? There's, whenever there's an artist that we're working with, um, there's a, a clear vision. I mean, the vision is usually built up because we, um, I mean, our process is we'll, we'll do a lot of work with the artists. We'll start getting them in, start doing sessions. And then what we like to do is we'll have, you know, someone like AM come in, an executive come and give them feedback, have Red Eyes come and give them feedback on the music, have Birdman come and give them feedback on the music. It's through listening sessions like that. Oftentimes we do it at the end of a session where we really establish what's the vision, what's what's the sound, what, are the, what, what should the producers be working on, what's the best thing for the writers to be putting together, uh, what are even the visuals going to look like for this, what should the artists be wearing. It gets very elaborate when you're when you're building like that. Mm -hmm. One thing I noticed with your with well sessions that we do in general mm -hmm. is that uh, productivity is such a big part of what we are about. So for example, you know this is my studio, and we'll have. This, we'll have people working here doing production while the artist is recording in there, mm -hmm. while we have other workstations set up over mm -hmm. there. So we'll, we'll have at any given time, potentially, you know, four beats being done in an hour along with, you know, so the session ends up being so, um, just so efficient, mm -hmm. right? It does take time to get into that. 
Definitely. flow though. It does take, um, it can take three, four, five sessions, even more. For sure. For an artist to get comfortable, right? Yeah. Working with a team. Um, especially at that rate, at that caliber, right? For sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. That, you know, that's that a lot that comes with, you know, you have to gel with your team, like you said. It's, mm -hmm. It really comes down to getting to know each other and, and that, that trust has to be established. Okay, so let's, let's talk about, so we talked about the creative mm -hmm. team right there. Yeah. I really like that. Okay, let's talk about management, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, you've been involved in management with me. You've been inv involved with London's management, mm -hmm. with Rich Gang. Right, you've been involved in some pretty high level management situations, and so tell me a little bit about what you and what you've learned about management. You know, and, and the time that you've been um, managing good art, artists on different scales. Yeah, what can you really tell artists? You know, in terms of when they're trying to build a management team, and especially you know, you work with up and coming artists as well. Yeah. So, what does an up and coming artist need when they're looking for a manager? Because they might be trying to search for you know they're, they're trying to get Scooter Braun to manage yeah. them or or, or whoever. <laughs> Um, what are they looking for? What do they need? Yeah, your great question. Your 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 needs will evolve as you evolve as an artist. You know, I, I see a lot of developing artists like right at the beginning. Um, they th think they need management. You know, that's that's the most important thing. A lot of times at that stage, they really just need guidance. Uh, then I see a lot of artists that are uh, maybe have some momentum. Actually, have songs that are picking up, and then but are, are afraid to bring in the right manager at the right team too, at the right time too. Like both can be very detrimental. Um, I think, you know, to, for any, any starting off, um, artists, it's the thing that you want to look for and just in a, in any, any manager, your, your manager doesn't have to necessarily be someone that comes from the music industry. You know, uh, you see a lot of great managers come from other industries that jump into this and have no experience, but they, they're, what you want is someone that is, I mean, first and foremost, they gotta be a fan of you. Okay, that's they, they gotta be a fan of what you're doing as an artist. Beyond that, though, you want someone that's hardworking. You want someone that's able to pick up the phone, get some, get things done. Um, someone that's trustworthy. I think, mean, like, if you find someone that that is fits that caliber, they can learn. They can get the experience as long as they they have those kind of core attributes to them. I think in terms of a manager, at least when you're starting out, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so you know we talked kind of talked about this uh, before a couple times, but. We talk about being hardworking versus having experience, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so when you say, well, number one, yeah, definitely. If you're looking for a manager, you want someone who's a fan of your music. Yeah. You know, appointing your boy just because he's your boy, <laughs> and you know, you guys get high and 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 you know, get into some ideas is, oh, sh oh shoot, oh shit, it's okay. Oh no. <sighs> Sorry, guys. Uh, Jesse just spilled his beer, so we had to cut there for a second. But we're, we're, we're back. We actually have a Waterloo brewery in here. We're actually only going to be having local uh, beers and featured from now on. This is Waterloo Brewery. It actually is Ontario's first craft brewery, brewery I guess. So, really? uh, yeah, apparently. Very cool. It's pretty cool, right? Very cool. So, uh, yeah, that's a local beer here. And uh, shout out to them. All right, so look, we, where we left off there, we're talking about, well, I was asking Jesse about uh, a question while he, when he spilled his... Uh, Beautiful Waterloo, Waterloo mm -hmm. IPA. Mm -hmm. Hard work versus experience, right? And I, I guess I'll tell you the way I feel. When you're looking for a manager specifically, are you looking for a manager who has experience versus hard work, right? Or work ethic, I should say. Mm -hmm. right? And on my when I'm, when you're a new artist, you need a, you need someone who's a hard worker. And the other thing is, you can't find it's very difficult to convince a manager who has experience to manage you mm -hmm. if you don't have revenue, if you sure. don't have 
yeah. you know, you're, you're much better off trying to get somebody who's going to work and hustle hard for you, right? It's a wild goose chase to find a manager who's got experience. And I'm telling you this from my experience when I have, I have uh, people messaging every day. You know, we do at AMAG, uh, mm -hmm. people message us, hey, I need management, I need management, I need management. And um, so, so yeah, please don't message me about wanting management. Uh, <laughs> that's my answer to anybody who, who is going to. Uh, so anyways, look, the, the other thing is no one's going to work harder than you. So if you, yeah. even if you find a hardworking manager, right? They're only going to hustle as hard as you do. Don't expect anybody to work harder on your career than you do. It's something Great that I, I constantly see artists do is they expect, you know, they, they have a, they come in with a manager and they expect that manager to work harder than them. Yeah. And that's just not going to happen. No one's going to work harder than you on your career. Don't expect anybody to. Okay? For sure. Uh, look, another thing, well, you know, one other thing I'll say is like, have some self-awareness, right? And, and along with that yeah. point is like, have, have a level of self-awareness that will help you a lot when you're trying to find a manager because you'll be able to tell or decide like, look, these are the, the traits or the personality characteristics that I have that work, right? Mm -hmm. know, where you're, know what your weaknesses are, know what your limitations are, know what your strengths are. Mm -hmm. Having a little bit of self-awareness just goes so far, exactly. okay? And that'll, that'll help you tons in building your team, just in general. Okay. Now, um, we want to talk a little bit about what, what do you expect, though, what, if you're not a new artist, what you should expect in terms of revenue and or how are you paying people? What, who, how, are, how does a manager get paid? Well, a manager is going to be commission-based. A manager is going to make money when you make money, right? So they're going to make either 15 to 20%. That's, typical, that's the industry's norm, right? That's the industry standard. And... That's, so that's the manager. Now we talked about your creative team. The creative team is different. Creative team is going to get paid either with royalties or publishing, right? Or points on the songs. And then there, or you might pay them uh, with upfront fees, upfront money, mm -hmm. right? Or it might be a combination, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Okay. So that's how the compensation structure works for your creative team and for your management team. Okay. So then let's get into number three here. Point number three was you've got your creative team, management, and lastly, label or investor. Your label or investor. Okay, and look, this is something we'll do a whole episode on this separately. Okay, most up and coming artists are not in the position, very few of them are in the position that they're either with a label or they have outside investment. Mm -hmm. Right, and actually, um, I should correct myself there. A lot of artists are actually really savvy in terms of getting investment. Yeah. A lot more are these days are very much Definitely. getting Definitely. outside investment. Okay. But as you scale, you know, as you scale, you need capital. It's really important that you yeah. understand that you're going to need capital to scale your business and you're, you are a business as an artist, right? So you want to look for financial partnerships. And typically when it comes to artists, it's going to be either a label or it's going to be independent investment. Okay. New artists, when you're brand new, you know, you largely, you don't need a label as much as you think you do. Right? <laughs> okay. In this day and age, labels do not blow up artists. No. Artists blow themselves up and then labels step in afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay? Don't forget that. So, if we're talking about, you know, building and scaling your team eventually, 95% of artists that have become successful do end up working with the label, just letting you know, mm -hmm. in some capacity. You might have, there's so many types of deals that, that are out there, right? And look, I mean, well, there's there's so many options for deals. For sure. Right? There's single deals, there's distribution deals that you could do, there's a marketing deal, you could do a 
five album deal, which is pretty typical. You could do a 360 deal. There, there's just so many types of deals. Now, and there's also now there's fan funding, there's fan financing. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of options out there. And there's just as many labels as there are like as anything. You know, there's major labels, there's indie labels, there's labels in between. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's tons of labels, uh, tons of people out there that are really interested in, in helping artists uh, and great indie, indie labels that we know that we're uh, that our friends run that we're partnered with that I can't say anything bad about, even though we are, our philosophy is generally, you know, for artists to stay independent as yeah. long as possible, right? Again, labels not gonna be interested in you until you start doing numbers. Just be aware of that, okay? That's not gonna be, your team is not gonna include a label until you start doing some real numbers, yeah. okay? And typically, I don't, I don't know what the exact numbers are anymore, but I know for, just to give you guys a little insight, for Spotify, once you start getting into the range of say 1.2 million, 1.5 million streams per track, that's when the labels will start come knocking on your door a bit, right? Mm -hmm. That's when the A&Rs will start knocking on your door and they'll start coming with offers of, you know, they'll, they'll do single deals with you mm -hmm. at that point. They'll come and tell you, look, okay, here's, you know, five grand <laughs> up front for uh, your next single, which we're gonna get 85% on and you're gonna get 15 and, and then yeah. do like a tiered sort of plan yeah. with you. Very, very typical, very standard right now. Yeah. And uh, so that's the kind of range. It might've changed, I don't know, maybe it's a little higher now, um, but that was within the last six months. I know that we've looked at multiple deals for artists that are um, the typically getting in that range of 1.2 mil, 1.5, and that's where the labels will start coming to. Mm -hmm. Okay. So again, generally for new artists, you're looking for investors rather than a label. Yeah. Right? Okay. And look, you know what's amazing? I can tell you who your first investor is gonna be. It's gonna be you. <laughs> All right? It's if you don't invest in your own career, if you're not interested in investing in your own career, just walk away now. Like you're, uh, no investor is going to be interested in someone who does not invest in themselves. That's okay? So if you can't pay for studio time, if you can't hire good producers, if you're not going to put money into your marketing, into getting uh, good content together, and to yeah. you know keeping a clean image and brand then don't expect investors to suddenly pop in and be so interested. You know, it doesn't take that much for you to get enough going for yourself. Yeah. All right. And look, uh, the something else I'd say here, again, we're going to do a whole episode on this because I've done uh, I've, loved, I've done tons of deals with artists and investors and labels and third parties. So we're going to do a whole other episode on this because there's so much I can mm -hmm. get into. But one thing I'll tell you guys, if you're once you're establishing yourself, you know, don't position yourself when you're going to investors as if you're begging for money. Okay, too many artists do that. That's true. Right? A lot of artists, again, we said a lot of artists are really good at getting money, like they get funded. Yeah. But too many of them I see going in, in a, with an attitude of, oh, you know, I'm trying to beg them. Right? Yeah. Or, or even, you know, artists will message me begging, hey man, <laughs> invest in my career. And that's, that's just not the way you want to approach it. Think about it. Right? No investor wants to take on someone who's begging for it. They want to come into an opportunity. Exactly. Right? Position this as an opportunity for them, right? And you have to look at it like an opportunity. If you look at it like it's like it's charity, well, that's not investing. That's charity. Yeah. Okay. You need to look at it like it's an opportunity and think about it from their angle. No, and when an investor puts money down, they want to put money into opportunities, not into charity, right? This is not philanthropy. This is a business. So important that you understand that mindset. Okay. And look, there's lots of kinds of deals that with investors, there's tons of deals that we've done that there's profit splitting deals that we do. There's equity deals where you give them a portion of your brand, right? And a, well, a piece of everything, really an equity deal. There's deal structures that we do that are like 
we do basically we structure them as credit lines so almost like how a bank would give give a loan right or even we do deals that are loan based deals there's, there's so many types of deals that mm-hmm. that can be structured in the music business mm-hmm. right whether it's with investors or with labels right yeah. it's getting it's it's sky's the limit you know there's the more creative you can be the more likely you are to get funding or, or get a, get somebody behind you so um, and you know I just mentioned banks well Jesse let me ask you a question <laughs> do banks fund artists or not do if, if I'm an artist and I go to the bank and I tell them hey listen I'm really dope right I'm super dope I need so I need a hundred grand to get a, a Drake verse to, <laughs> to get studio time to what will the bank tell me hell no right <laughs> Okay, banks are not going to be a part of your team, all right? No. So just cut that idea out. A lot of artists, you know, do try to, to do that. It's wasting your time, wasting the bank's time. Music is too much of a risky industry yeah. for banks to banks to get into. They don't get into it, yeah. okay? That's what let record labels do, and that's what private investors do. Those are the two, the only two places that fund music. And then, of course, there is some fan funding and whatnot, right? But for the majority, that's, that's what it is. And look, and our, our, our philosophy at AMAG, I'll just tell you a little bit, is basically like we keep artists as independent as possible for as long as possible. That is the best thing for your career. Staying, and just remember that, the more independent, the longer that you can stay independent, right? Mm-hmm. Which doesn't mean that you're, um, that you're not getting an investor, right? It doesn't mean that you're not trying to put capital into your career. Mm-hmm. But the longer that you're able to maintain independence and maintain um, you know, your freedom, the better you're gonna do. That's always been the case, yeah. right? For everybody that we work with. So we really do fight for artists to maintain independence as much as possible and especially not give up big chunks of equity or like 85% of royalties or anything crazy like that. Those are insane sort of numbers. And it's of course what we see all the time, major labels are gonna put those numbers across the table to you. And if you don't know what you're doing as an artist, you don't get good management, a good entertainment lawyer at some point, you know, then you're not gonna know what you're doing there either. Mm. Or if you're just desperate, right? A lot of this is common sense. Yeah. A lot of this really is common sense if you have any business sense. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, remember, like, the, the artists that do the best, that I've seen doing the best, are the ones who treat the decision-making process like a business, and they take the emotion out of it, okay? Those are the ones who always do the best. Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to that, Jesse, uh, before we go into the questions? I think when it comes to investors, I'll just add a couple things. Uh, I mean, first and foremost, if you're gonna reach out to someone to be an investor, they have to believe in you, okay? Like if there isn't some sort of belief in you as an artist and what you're doing, I've never really seen that work. It has to be there, that number one has to be there. Other thing I would say is, you know, if you're going to someone to invest in in, in music, like hey, I'm set, banks are gonna like, Music is a risky space. Banks are not going to say yes to this. Like, if you're going to someone who who doesn't invest in more, you might call exotic or more maybe you know high risk investments. This is not someone. Someone who just puts their money in a GIC is not someone to go for 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 investment for your music. The third thing I would say is just most of the time these are people that uh, that I've seen at least in, in my career are people that. Um, come out of your own community, come out of your own maybe family. You know, these are people that usually they have some sort of deeper connection to you and they see what you're doing. And once you show them that, uh, these, you know, every time I see that, it's an artist that shows these people that there's something serious. I'm doing something serious with my music. This is, and there's a lot of legwork the artist puts in, and then, you know, the community or, or family might jump into it at, at a certain point. But usually it comes from that place, I would say. 
Yeah. yeah. It's such an important and under underrated part of the, you know, well, it's so misunderstood, right? Financing, where the labels fit in, where investors fit in. And, uh, you know, it's something for us, we're going to do a whole episode on it, right? This is, it is always money. So we're here for, we're here to educate you on, on that part of the game too, right? And, um, but it's not as complicated as, as people make it seem mm. either. Okay. So, but great, great uh, point there, Jesse. Let's get into the questions because we had a bunch of questions here from, from last week. All right, so, and thanks for everybody again for when you, when you engage with us, when you submit your questions, they're all important to us and, and you guys are, there's some really smart questions here that I think will provide a lot of value to anybody who's listening. So we'll start with number one, uh, Retro on uh, YouTube. Retro, what's up? Retro from, kid, uh, from Ottawa, right? Yes, yeah, from Ottawa. That's our, that's our boy, Retro. He's an artist. Uh, yes, sir. Ottawa. So Retro asks, you mentioned innovations arising post major crises. So uh, he's referencing our first episode where I talked about how basically after every um, major recession that going back to the early 1900s, right? And we are in a major recession. After everyone, there's been major disruption and innovation, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's referencing that saying, he's saying, for example, Spotify, Napster, CDs, and there have been a few new things we saw during the lockdown, for example, live concerts and verses. What major innovations do you see, do you want to see happening in 2021, 2022 that currently does not exist for music? And what do you think it means for new, less established artists? Okay, so I'll answer that question. He's got a sec two questions in there. Uh, okay, innovations I see happening. Innovations. Uh, well, number one, we talked about fan investing and mm -hmm. so fan funding has been around for a minute kickstarter was i think it's like 2000 it started picking up i remember in 2012 or 2013 that's when artists had the most funding i think it's like 200 million was funded to artists wow and um and it's not i don't know if funded is the right way i guess funded the way to say it yeah. granted to artists because it's given right it's not yeah. like you have to pay that back yeah so I think that's when it reached its peak. And since then, I think last year in Kickstarter, there was only like $20 million. So it's gone down, like the mm. peak is just gone. Now the new innovation that I see happening is fan funding or, or sorry, fan investing. Okay. I see fans being able to take a portion of your streaming revenue, mm -hmm. right? For, for in exchange for funding, a small amount of funding, you know? So, mm -hmm. and that is, that can be just all done automatically, right? Online. They can, put $5 in, they could put $500 in, and then boom, they just have to link up their bank accounts through through some app, and as those as that money comes into your account or into um, whatever company is the intermediary, boom, it'll be split into your account, split into the fan accounts, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so I see that model, I see that model working. Again, I, I think, I think I mentioned this in the first episode, but I, but or of always Money Monday, but I see that working better with big artists at the start, but then maybe eventually smaller artists will be benefiting from that. True. And I also do see it as something where it's more likely if you're a small artist that you can convince people to put money into that rather than put money into Kickstarter. Kickstarter is kind of like begging and pleading. Yeah. Whereas, whereas if you have something where people are invested in you, an app or a website through which they actually invested, it's. I see artists being more uh, interested in promoting that, yeah. right? 
you know it's like a artists don't want to i don't most artists i know don't want to be asking for money like begging and pleading for money no for sure right they respect themselves and their art too much to usually do that so um and that being said i just said earlier that artists do beg and please <laughs> uh but it, and it's true they do it's, it's true i think that it's it's just like when they find an investor they get yeah. they get too antsy they get too uh, they, they trip over themselves they don't right? know how to carry it out yeah right right but this being that being said if uh, i could see artists new artists putting together really good campaigns that are really professional that aren't begging and pleading that are showing as an opportunity Mm-hmm. Rather than begging, showing showing fans this is an opportunity for you to make a lot of money yeah. with me. Like you're gonna make money with me, right? Yeah. So this I see being innovative. I see this disrupting the game, right? Um, what else? Going back to your question here. Well, okay, podcast. The podcast space is blowing up. Mm-hmm. It's gonna it's gonna go way bigger. We've had so much growth in the podcast space just in the last. You know, we had the Joe Rogan deal. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what's her name? Kim Kardashian. Spotify signed her on for a True. podcast. The Obamas were signed on with them too. Mm. So that space is, is growing immensely. It's going to keep growing. There's a huge amount of investment in it that Spotify's putting in, mm-hmm. right? Because they captured a market. There's a market there that hasn't been tapped into. And it's, being, it's just kind of, it's, it's being fleshed out now, mm-hmm. right? Where people going, people who are driving every day, people who are jogging, people who are, they haven't yeah. had any, haven't had high, high quality content you know, or, or the value around high quality content hasn't been uh, recognized. Yeah. Right. So it's now it's getting recognized where you're getting Joe, you know, Joe Rogan got a hundred million dollars. So the standard is set. The bar is set. Yeah. And I, and I saw a number where it's like, you know, how many streams you'd have to have to get to a hundred million dollars from Spotify? I think it's like 27 billion streams that you'd have to have as an artist. Wow. So they've put the price, you know, they've, yeah, I think yeah, yeah. that they're looking at that space as even more serious and even more lucrative potentially yeah and and, I, and they have a really interesting um formula there uh sorry I'm, I'm gonna keep this moving but one last thing i'll say about that point they have an interesting um formula that they've built in with advertising on on podcasts right so when you put a podcast together now they have um something i forget what it's called but it's like spotify dynamic advertising and basically they'll insert the right ad, like a right type of ad at the right type of place for mm-hmm. you within the spot of within your podcast so okay. it's dynamic so it's kind of like when you go on google and it's following you around and it's it's seeing what you're looking it's at. telling you yeah yeah it's dynamic advertising and google mm. google is google because of that for sure there's they are so big because they came up with that idea mm-hmm. they're just a marketing company right? so same thing with spotify they have discovered they've built this um this this whatever you call it like a you know insert ads within your podcast dynamically what else is interesting about that is that consumers actually are more interested in spending money on they're okay with podcast ads whereas you know ads on other on, on like on youtube and this and that consumers typically don't like mm-hmm. right but yeah. they see ads in podcasting as something that benefits the podcaster right so and the also the conversion rate is really high. People who listen to ads on podcasts are, are spending way more money on that, whatever's being advertised. Yeah, right. Sense. So, because uh, there's some credibility to it, because the podcasters themselves usually are taking on ads and, and advertising stuff that they, they actually believe in, or they they're telling them that they believe in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's interesting. That's that's I would say that's going to explode, right? Um, I, okay, so a couple other things I could say: disruption. I see disruption innovation coming from India, China. 
back here now. True. Rather, you know, rather than the, the West influencing the East, I see the East coming and influencing the West. Yeah. So that's that's a, a big thing. Concerts are going to pick up and explode again, For sure. bigger than ever. For sure. Um, and then the last thing I'd say, man, it's just what I, what I said I think last time too, was that do-it-yourself artists are going to do incredible things. Yeah. Artists who are ready to work and hustle and be entrepreneurial are going to do some incredible things. All right. So number two, the second part of your question, you you ask um, some innovations negatively impacted artists in the immediate years that followed recessions. Uh, for example, MP3 or downloads, and were geared towards the consumer as opposed to the artist. Okay, so what you're what he's saying there is what you're retro you're saying there is that um, some of the innovations that benefited, yeah. like like Napster or MP3s, the down, downloading it benefited the consumers rather than the artists. Yeah, I would dis, I would I don't know if I'd dis say or disagree with you, but I don't think that's the right way to put it. Consume, whatever's good for consumers is good for artists. Okay. And there's been the revolution that came along with streaming, with downloading. It's changed the whole game. There's more artists making money in music than ever in the history of the world. Yeah. For so real. what's good for consumers is absolutely good for you, good for other artists, right? So don't think of it that way. Mm. Okay. If it's good, like think about why it's good for the consumer. Why is the consumer downloading music? You know, well, yeah. they're tired of albums. They're tired of having to pay for over 20, what was 25 bucks, 20 bucks for an album to buy yeah. one single because you just like one song on there, right? It was that it was too old school. It was antiquated. And so why didn't it, why did Napster take over? Why did streaming, why is streaming so big and why is it so popular? Why is it? Because it's good for the consumer. That's what they want. And we have to cater to the consumer. We serve them, right? As an artist, you're, you serve your fan base. Right? Yeah, also. So, what's good for them is good for you, right? Um, thanks for the question, Retro. We're gonna keep it moving. Uh, appreciate you. We hope to see you again, and we hope you're well. Okay, number question um, number two here. Let's go to Char C H A R. I hope I said that right. Or maybe it's Share. Maybe it's maybe Shares on our Discord. Share. Okay, Char. Thanks for your question. You, you, Char asks a couple of questions. Everyone's asking a couple questions. I like it. He says, what are the differences between albums, mixtapes, LPs, EPs, and singles? Should a beginner artist start work on releasing tracks as singles or work on releasing projects? So I'll pass it over to Jesse. Jesse, what's your answer? There's two questions there. The difference between all those mediums. Yeah. And then number two, should an artist be releasing tracks or projects? You know what? I don't... I'm just going to say I don't think it matters that much to go like here's the thing release content release good music if for you that makes sense to put it into a four song lp then that's that makes sense if you have four songs like you have a vision for how that's going to be go with that if you have a vision for a whole album go with that i do think that a lot of artists are starting out it's you know to formulate the vision of what it takes to put together a whole album you might not be there yet. That's okay. Start putting out songs, putting get feedback, put it out in front of people. If you're, if you're just starting out, the best thing you can do is get as much feedback on your music as possible. And if that means putting out a project, if that means just showing a bunch of friends some music in your room, like put music in front of people. I don't think that you should stress about what the format of it. You know, that, that'll make sense as you, as you go. That's the best advice I think I can give you. Great answer. Thanks again for that question. 
chart. Thanks for engaging with us. Um, we hope to see you on uh, Discord soon, and we hope to see you in the studio soon. Uh, next question. Tyler Cargill, our boy Tyler, who asked a, who asked a question last week too, asks another one here. Uh, do you see a future for companies such as Twitch? So, well, I'm not very familiar with actually these kind of streaming platforms. I think they're the more, as from my, from what I understand, like video games and yeah, it's uh, game oriented. Yeah, game oriented. And the only game I play is The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Whenever they release a Zelda, I play it. Every time it comes out, I have to buy like the system and play it because <laughs> I believe Ocarina of Time is the greatest game ever made. So I and so I've never twitched or streamed or any any of that. Uh, but I will say that, look, because of the virus, technology companies have exploded, right? Like tech has just exploded. So a lot of tech companies right now are at a point where basically their sales and their, their, um, their position right now is where they would have been in like 10 years. You see that particularly with a company like Zoom, right? Everyone, everyone knows Zoom. Yeah. And so look, so you look at a situation like that and you see, well, why is Zoom in that situation? Because everyone's had to embrace technology and get get used to technology, right? The learning curve that was there for these things are just—it's people are people are using tech more than ever, and so I, I, you know, there's five to ten years of of movement, right? So I do believe again, I can't speak to Twitch specifically. Uh, I'm sorry about that, but do I feel that tech companies? Do I see a future for for tech companies, innovative tech? Of course. Right there's there is in fact I see things uh, exploding, exploding. There's so much more to do now. There's so much more that's going to happen. Uh, and do you anything to add to that? No, I agree. I, I totally thanks. Agree so thanks for that question, Tyler. Really appreciate you. Hope you're doing great. And if you keep sending us a question every week, man, we'll answer it. All right. Definitely. Uh, and then okay, I'm gonna just uh, finish it off with one one more question here from Stanley Stanley Morgan on YouTube asks, I don't know if that's your real name, Morgan Stanley, Stanley Morgan, uh, how, do you, how do I know if certain playlists are user-generated ones? So you're asking because our la we talked about, um, we had an episode on marketing, music marketing, and I talked, I gave you guys a game plan there on how to target and how, what's, how the playlists work, right? And so what you'll do, basically, it's very simple, just a quick answer here on Spotify, Go to the playlist, right? Mm -hmm. um, click on the playlist, and then you'll see the playlist title. And then underneath, it'll say uh, "Created by." And mm -hmm. then, if it says Spotify, that means it's an uh, editorial playlist or a use or a edit or an algorithmic playlist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if it says "Created by Jesse Christopher," then it's a user-generated playlist. So if you see a mm -hmm. name beside it, other than Spotify, it's a user-generated playlist. Yeah. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that's, that's, that's the right it. answer. That's, that's the best okay. way to look for it. Okay, awesome. Okay, so that's um, that's everything I think for this week. Yeah. Right. Uh, anything else you want to add, Jesse? Actually, for the Spotify playlist stuff, there's actually a lot of really good program. We can actually like Spot on Track. There's a bunch of different um, programs that you can sign up for that um, will show you where you know, different playlists and how many users they have and what genres they focus on and where, what songs are playing on them. There's actually some really good stuff. We can put, we can post that in our Discord. So there's what's a, it's a spot on track is a good one? Yeah, spot on track. There's a bunch. I, I, we can post them in there. Okay. Check out spot on track, but the answer to your question is you can really easily identify yeah. them. If it doesn't say Spotify and created by it, then it's a user-generated uh, playlist. Yeah. 
Okay, and uh, that's it for today. I want to say thank you again, Jesse, for joining and for uh, pretty much uh, taking the charge on this one. And thanks for spilling the beer on the, on the carpet too. You're welcome. <laughs> and then thank you, Josh, uh, who's behind the camera. Really appreciate the time that you're putting in. Um, and yeah, so we'll see you guys uh, next week at this point. Next week. Alright? Put my pain in my passion They say love's everlasting I should've listened